Coming up on Studios America, Jeremy Dice tells us how his group is defending the liberties of our troops. Big ruling there in an important court case. Jason Buttrell has the inside scoop on Glenn's groundbreaking interview with Donald Trump that airs tonight. Don't miss that. And there's a lot of hyped up chatter from both sides of the aisle about this year's midterm elections. But what does history actually tell us that we can expect? Let's dive in as we do the coming midterms. Stu does America. It's always important at the beginning of a program to say something to entice viewers to stick around. You got to say that big, important, shocking thing. So let me try. Joe Biden sucks. Didn't really shock you, did it? That's kind of what everybody knows about Joe Biden. He's not a good president. He has not done a good job. It's interesting to see even the left not really defend Biden as much as still continue to bash Trump. That's why we're getting this big January 6th week and, uh, you know, anniversary uh, that's going to be tomorrow. They're focusing so much on that because honestly, they can't look at their guy and say this is going well. They know just like, you know, that this is not going well. So they're going to try to do other things. They're going to go on offense. They're going to I mean, we're seeing maybe we'll get into this tomorrow. They're coming after uh, conservative personalities, trying to, you know, get their podcast banned. They're doing all the stuff you'd expect the left to do because they obviously can't argue on behalf of their guy. You know, he's he's it's been a catastrophe. The economy is not doing well. Uh, Inflation's going through the roof. Uh, the border is is terrible and is actually Biden's lowest level of popularity or, or, or support is on the border, which I don't even know. That doesn't even dominate the news right now. Afghanistan was a catastrophe and on and on and on and on. I'm going to end the virus. I'm not going to shut down this country. I'm going to shut down the virus. Oh, OK. Thanks a lot, Joe. Uh, that didn't work out all that well either. So all that's going on. And you have a president who is entirely Unpopular. I mean, he's, he's not doing very well. We're going to go through the details of that in a minute. But my point there is not to just highlight for the millionth time how bad of a president Joe Biden is. My point here is just to say that even if you're a good president, it's hard to win midterm elections. If you're a bad president, it's going to be really hard. Let me go through some of the history here. And I think this is important to understand how difficult it is to actually win a midterm election uh, if you're the president's party. And this should give you real optimism for the future with one caveat. And I'll give that to you here in a second. Let's go all the way back to 1946. 1946, Democratic president lost 53 seats in the House. Remember, we have a five seat advantage for Democrats right now. Five. So they can't lose, you know, five four or five. Uh, It's going to be really tough. They have tons of retirements and everything else. 53 would really hurt them. In 1950, Democratic president, they lost 27 seats in the midterms. 1954, Republican president lost 16 seats. 1958, Republican president lost 47 seats. 1962, here's the hope for the Democrats, I suppose. Uh, Democratic president lost only four seats, but still lost seats. 1966, Democratic president, 47 seats lost. 1970, Republican president, nine seats lost. 1974, Republican president, 43 seats lost. 1978, Democratic president, 11 seats lost. And the reason I'm pointing out the party of the president in these circumstances is to show you this is difficult no matter what party you're in. This is not just like Democrats seem to lose uh, in midterm election years or Republicans do. 
everybody does. It's basically impossible uh, to win, and with a couple of, of exceptions we'll get to here in a second. Now, think of 1980. Things are going really bad. Uh, Ronald Reagan gets elected. Uh, he's turning the country around. He still loses 27 seats in the midterm elections. 27. 1984, he has the biggest wave presidential election in, in modern memory. He still loses five seats in 1986. George H.W. Bush loses nine seats in 1990. In 1994, Bill Clinton, of course, this is the um, contract with America year with Newt Gingrich, and he loses and just gets absolutely slaughtered in that election, loses 52 seats. Now, we're going to go to an exception here, and this is 1998. Um, and, you know, here we are in the middle of the, the dot-com boom. Um, the, uh, the Monica Lewinsky stuff hasn't, you know, really, you know, hit yet. Bill Clinton is, you know, seemingly doing pretty well at this moment, and he's able to gain five seats. Now, that looks like, uh, compared to every other election we've talked about so far, has been a loss for the, uh, for the president uh, in the midterm. He gains five seats, which seems fantastic. But when you realize that it's coming off of one of the biggest wave elections in 1994, where they lost massive amounts of control, it kind of shows you it's not all that impressive. Now, 2000 comes, George W. Bush wins that election. And then in 2002, George W. Bush actually picks up six seats. So here's the other exception of our entire list. That, of course, is a post-September 11th election where George Bush's popularity is still sky high and he's able to actually add six seats in the House. And then it goes back to normal form. 2006, Bush still in office, loses 30 seats. Barack Obama gets elected. Oh, what a popular guy. He's going to the, the, the Republican Party is going to be a regional party. Uh, Barack Obama has changed the dynamic. Uh, the Tea Party comes along. He loses 63 seats. 2014. Uh, He loses another 13 seats after beating Mitt Romney in 2012. And then Donald Trump, after he wins in 2016, loses 40 seats in 2018. The bottom line here is in every circumstance, you have a really tough time doing any sort of positive thing in a midterm election if you're the party uh, of, of the president. And we are at a situation where this is not the optimal time. For Joe Biden, I want to go back again through history and look at how Joe Biden is doing historically so far. You saw all these presidents that lost seats. Well, how is Joe Biden doing in relation to those presidents? A good good way to sort of judge what might happen at the end of this year. Well, uh, Joe Biden is doing worse than Harry Truman back in 1945 through 1953. You see his uh, line. He's down considerably to Harry Truman. Dwight Eisenhower, uh, Joe Biden is doing worse. John F. Kennedy, uh, Joe Biden is doing a lot worse. Lyndon Johnson, though, uh, Joe Biden is doing a lot worse. Richard Nixon, uh, ooh, Joe Biden is doing a lot worse. Gerald Ford, though, I mean, Joe Biden's just doing a little worse. So, and he might even be equal to Gerald Ford in the coming future, but right now he's doing worse than Gerald Ford. Jimmy Carter, uh, uh, oh, Joe Biden is doing worse. Ronald Reagan, oh, Joe Biden is doing worse. George H.W. Bush at this time in his presidency, oh, once again, Joe Biden doing worse. Bill Clinton, well, uh, oh no, oh no, Joe Biden is still doing worse. George W. Bush, oh, not even remotely close, as George W. Bush was still at about an 80% approval rating here, uh, but he is doing much, much worse than George W. Bush. How about Barack Obama? Oh, once again, 
doing worse. So there is, of course, the final exception here, and I will show it to you, Donald J. Trump. And Trump is still a little lower than Joe Biden was. But remember, Donald Trump lost 40 seats in his midterm election. And Joe Biden is going in at just slightly higher levels than Donald Trump. And look, Trump was a divisive president. Uh, everybody know, knows that. His, his approval rating was very consistent, sort of from the beginning to the end of his administration. The most consistent in history. It was right in those low 40s and bounced around between the, you know, the area of the low 40s the entire time he was president. With Biden, we've just seen a decline since the beginning. He's going the wrong direction. So what is the caveat here? I mean, this should be an absolute home run for Republicans. They should take back the House, probably the Senate, too, in one of the bigger wave elections we've seen in the past century. What is the caveat? Well, if anybody can screw this up, it's the Republican Party. That's really the only thing pushing back here. Yes, there's the outlying possibility of some game changer event, maybe, you know, God forbid, a terrorist attack or a war or something where the dynamic really changes. But. As we look at it right now, and all throughout history, any party really should be able to do pretty well in a midterm election. Can the Republican Party screw this up, is the question. I, I can't imagine how they would do it, but they create such new and innovative ways to screw things up all the time. So we'll watch this as we go through the year and give you the updates. We'll, of course, have all the election coverage you need this year. We'll go deep into the polling, as we always do. We'll give you all the analysis that you need because this is a big one. These guys have to be stopped. (laughs) You've seen what they've done with the first year. God only knows if they get two more with complete control. We'll keep watching it and keep you updated. Ladies and gentlemen, the new year is upon us. That means it is time to make some positive changes, a chance to make 2022 our best year ever. We were just looking at some of those election results. Maybe it will be a great year. With GenuCell by Chamonix, you can look 5, 10, even 15 years younger. During the GenuCell New Year's clearance event, you can save over 60% off GenuCell's hand-picked, most popular package to take care of all your skincare needs. This is the best in skincare. You can see for yourself with, uh, you can watch the fine lines, the forehead wrinkles, the sagging jawline, even those under eye bags, gone. This works for both women and men, safe for all skin types, perfect for skin of any age. And here's the thing. You might say, that's a lot of promises, Stu. How can anybody live up to that? Well, Chamonix says they can't. And they promise the results that will make you smile guaranteed or 100% of your money back. Go to lovegenucell.com slash Stu, because you're going to love GenuCell. Right now, you can go there and get the 60% off uh, deal with the most popular package. Every order is automatically upgraded to free priority shipping. Don't wait. Lovegenucell.com slash Stu. It's L-O-V-E-G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash Stu. Joining me once again is Jeremy Dice, special counsel for the First Liberty Institute. Jeremy, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Stu. Uh, thanks for coming on. Happy New Year. Um, it kind of is a happy new year for you guys here uh, at the beginning of the year. As you've seen a pretty major, um, at least first step in a legal process to defend the religious rights of some military members. Can you tell us about it? 
Yeah, no, we have the privilege of representing 35 Navy SEALs, and each of these SEALs have requested a religious accommodation from being required to take the COVID-19 vaccine uh, as mandated by the military, and specifically the, the Department of the Navy. And on Monday of this week, Judge Reed O'Connor, who's a federal district court judge in Fort Worth, uh, he issued an injunction preventing the Navy from taking any adverse action against these against these uh, these seals. And he specifically mentioned that uh, that the Navy has engaged in religious discrimination by providing administrative and medical and other secular accommodations to its personnel, but denying in rubber stamping denying the uh, re- religious accommodation requests of Navy SEALs and other personnel. This is pretty fascinating because, you know, as I look at this, uh, you know, these cases, we've talked about them before over the past couple of years uh, when it comes to COVID restrictions and things that have been passed down. Um, the religious sort of um, uh, exemption that should be easily provided in a lot of these cases is just being ignored. I mean, they don't seem to want to pay attention to it in a lot of these cases. But as you look at, like, the, the hierarchy of vaccine mandates, I mean, it's really hard for the president to put on a private sector um, a mandate. It's, you know, federal employees fall down a little bit. Maybe that's a little bit easier. The military, is, there's all sorts of requirements on the military. Um, and, th- you know, this is the one that seemed like, at least from a lot of analysts, that Joe Biden and, and the administration would be able to get away with, right? They could, they could require the military members to do this. And now we're seeing that that's not even true. I think that's a, the right decision. But are you surprised at all that it's gone down this way? Yeah, look, you give up a lot of things to be a member of the military and a lot of those sort of what we would might call freedoms, you know, the freedom of you know living in your own home instead of on base, that kind of thing. And having to go and fight wars across the, the globe that you and I you know, can say no to, they, they volunteer to go do that kind of thing. Yeah, those are they're certainly things. Look, but in this situation, in this case, the military has actually just treated there, there's an, as the, the judge pointed out, favoritism is built into this order and that favoritism goes towards the, those people of, uh, of secularism saying that, look, if you got a medical exemption, sure, go ahead and have it. If you've got an administrative reason, we're going to grant that one. But not in seven years, the court said, has the court, or I'm sorry, has the military granted a single religious accommodation. Worse than that, the, there's about a 50-step process that the military is supposed to engage when considering religious accommodation requests, which, by the way, have to be done on an individualized uh, situation, case-by-case analysis here. But on step one, they create a template that is ultimately the denial template mm. that is then passed up through like 35 steps before it comes back with a rubber stamp denial. And all of our clients who've received their denial have received the exact same templatized version with simply their names and ranks and that sort of thing changed in the template. And so there is an implicit bias against religion when they're supposed to be engaged in this case-by-case individualized assessment of these religious accommodation requests. So forcing a a member of the military who does not give up their religious freedom by going into the military to choose between their faith and their country or their livelihood is is rank discrimination and is against every American value that you and I hold dear. Yeah, no, I I think you're totally right on that. And it's interesting to watch this stuff play out because... As you, you describe, I think, a pretty sensible legal standard here, which is they should at least look at these things and try to decipher, is someone trying to scam them and fake a religious uh, exemption? Or, you know, are they, is this a, a sincerely held religious belief? I mean, that's always been the standard. But, like, as we look at this, it seems to me that the, the government should be 
you know, allowing for an incredible amount of leeway here. Like the right is the most important thing. And it seems like the military, the government, the administration over and over again is basically just saying, if we can come up with a way to not give you the exemption, we're not going to give it to you. When I think the opposite is actually should be the right standard. Unless there's something really egregious, every one of these things should be granted. Yeah, the court took exception with the Navy to point out the fact, number one, hey, if you have a medical exemption, you're, you're able to deploy. You're allowed to go and fight the nation's battles. But if you request a religious accommodation, you are rendered non-deployable. You cannot transfer. You cannot go out and fight the nation's battles here, even though during the midst of this pandemic in the very beginning stages when things were the worst that they were, uh, these SEALs, our clients, deployed overseas to fight the nation's battles. They engaged in large scale training uh, actions. And they did so very safely. And so apparently this can actually be done. Then the court pointed to the fact that the Navy has a 99.4% vaccination rate. That means 99.4% of Navy personnel are in fact vaccinated. And the court kind of threw up its hands and said, you're really arguing over the 0.6% of those who are unvaccinated as if that's going to cause a national readiness issue. It would be better for the Navy, you're saying, to kick these men out. And Navy SEALs don't grow on trees. There's something that has to be produced over an intense period of training with a lot of financial investment in that training as well. We're just simply dismissing something like 300 years of of combat experience that our clients hold collectively here, that's not something you can get back. It's a not only a religious freedom concern, it's obviously a national security concern. In a serious way, you're right. They, they, you don't grow Navy SEALs on trees. That's not how this works. Um, let me read a, uh, just a, a couple sentences from the, from the ruling, which I thought to be uh, really, really well written. And uh, you know, the, the, the judge seems to have a real understanding of the Constitution. He says, the plaintiff's loss of religious liberties outweighs any forthcoming, uh, forthcoming harm to the Navy. Even the direst circumstances cannot justify the loss of constitutional rights. If we had a, 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 um, a system of justice that recognized just that sentence, sentence, we would be in a much better place as a country. Even if the circumstances are bad, we still side on this. You don't lose your rights because of them. And I feel like the last couple of years, we have totally lost sight of that. Exactly. There's another line that the judge uses in that decision to say there is no COVID-19 exception to the First Amendment. There is no (laughs) military exclusion to the Constitution. It still applies when you go into the military and you raise your hand and swear the oath. You are still entitled to the protections of our Constitution. You know, another thing that I think we have to point out here is how harmful this has been to our men and women of the armed forces. We had one of the SEALs actually testify at the preliminary injunction hearing, and he said, look, I had a traumatic brain injury that I sustained during combat, and I wanted to get that treated. And uh, I found a clinic that was able to treat me. They were indifferent towards my vaccination status. But because of this mandate, because of the Navy's orders, they would not let me go and receive the treatment at that clinic. Mm. I offered to go on my own, in my own car, by myself, wearing a mask if necessary, to a clinic that didn't care about my vaccination status. And yet they would not allow me to go and get a treatment for my traumatic brain injury just because I didn't have sufficient mRNA put into my arm. Uh, That level of insult to injury should just anger and frustrate every freedom-loving American in this country. Mm, yeah, that is absolutely unbelievable. You guys have done such great work fighting this battle for a, a really long time over at First Liberty Institute. Um, where does this one go from here? Is it, does this just keep getting challenged and go all the way up the court system? 
Look, it's right now a precedent and I think a blueprint for every other member of the armed forces to, to use to ensure that they have their religious liberty protected as well. And look, there are literally tens of thousands of pending uh, requests for religious accommodation across our armed forces. My hope would be that the Department of Defense, along with the rest of the administration, would recognize they are skating on extremely thin constitutional ice and they are better just simply back off the field here and correct the problem that they have created on their own. Move away from this unnecessary uh, mandate that is more like an ideological purge of those who are requesting a religious accommodation from the armed forces here. Uh, look, they could choose to ignore my suggestion there and appeal this to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. Look, our Navy SEALs have invested a lot of their lives and put their own lives on the line to defend our freedoms. The least we can do is continue to defend them for a couple more months in front of the Fifth Circuit and, if necessary, to the Supreme Court of the United States. But my hope will be that this serves as a roadmap for for the rest of our armed forces to be able to follow, to secure the religious liberty to which they are entitled under our Constitution and the laws of these United States and preserve and protect our our freedoms going forward. Mm, it really is interesting. Does it surprise you at all? And I, I thought about this a little bit over the past you know, couple of weeks in particular, where you, you have this debate that has gone on and this fight from the government and all these places to try to harangue the last, in this case, what, 0.4% of people who are not vaccinated into making a different decision. And as you see with Omicron, Here's a variant that comes through and cuts through lots of the vaccine uh, immunity, not to mention natural immunity, seems to pass through pretty much everything. And it was found in Botswana. We have no we have no control over the vaccination policies of Botswana. They're not exactly known as the vaccination capital of the world, but we have an entire low, you know, the low income countries in this world are vaccinated at three and four percent. Haiti, which we let hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of refugees come across the border has a 1% vaccination rate. The, the idea that you need to harangue 35 Navy SEALs into making a different choice, not only is against the Constitution, it's also completely insane. You know, if we just did the things that have failed time and time again, all the harder, maybe we would succeed this time. I, I don't know. There seems to be a definition associated with that. and It doesn't come out very good. Look, you're exactly right with these SEALs. They have they've done a lot to sacrifice for our freedoms. Uh, and they're very concerned about what goes into their bodies. Remember, these are like the Olympic athletes of 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 the military. They're, they're the best of the best of the absolute best. Uh, and, and what has been done to them, uh, they've, they've spent a lot of time thinking through exactly what they ought to do here. Many of them have spent hours of time in prayer and Bible study, talking with a priest or their pastor. These are, uh, reading through the request for accommodation, these are warrior poets that have really put a lot of thought and time and effort into figuring out what they can and cannot do by conscience. Just as much bravery as they have shown in defending our freedoms on the battlefield, I think they've brought that same tenacity in defending our freedoms within the courtroom itself. That's in the face of the Navy saying that they are willing to, uh, even for requesting the religious accommodation, send them back to the regular Navy, which is like sending an Olympic athlete back to the JV squad. Uh, you're you're uh, as, as good as the Navy is. These are elite athletes that are out there, elite, elite warriors that are out there. They've threatened to kick them out of the Navy if they, their accommodation is denied and then seek to recover the $2 million or so dollars that they've invested in training them to be Navy SEALs. It's unconscionable. No one should be terminated because of their religious beliefs, whether that's in a job or within the United States military. And when they do that in the United States military on this specific issue, it's hard to read it as anything other 
than vindictive and punitive. Mm. Jeremy Dice, uh, special counsel for the First Liberty Institute. And if you don't know the First Liberty Institute, uh, so many of the stories you've heard over the past couple of years of people pushing back against these crazy restrictions and crazy things that have happened when it comes to religious liberty. First Liberty Institute has been on the front lines fighting these over and over and over again. They're doing really important work. Uh, make sure you check, check out their website and support them because they're doing a fascinating, uh, they're in the middle of a fascinating time and doing really important work. Jeremy, thanks so much for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. A lot of people didn't even make resolutions this year. And you know what? I get it. But that doesn't mean you still shouldn't find a way to shake things up, whether it's by switching out your workout routine or going someplace new. I will tell you a story. I recently traveled and I made a little bit of a mistake on the travel. Uh, some people would say you shouldn't be traveling at all right now. And I understand that. But I was traveling and I forgot my Raycons. I had my other headphones. And you know what happened? Every time I put them in my ear, they just flopped out. Whenever I bumped into something, they'd, they'd flop out onto the ground. Uh, and I, I, I'm so used to the Raycons at this point, the Raycons will not budge out of your ears. They, they fit flat into your ears. They don't, uh, they don't get knocked out. They sound fantastic. And not to mention, they cost a lot less than some of these other brands. Uh, their everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. Eight hours of playtime, 32-hour battery life. They're priced just right, and you get quality audio at like half the price of some of these audio brands. Right now, your listener, uh, you, you as a listener get 15% uh, off of, of Raycon uh, if you order buyraycon.com. That's where you got to go, B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com slash stew. If you go to buyraycon.com slash stew, you'll get that 15 extra percent off your Raycons. Buyraycon.com slash stew for 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash stew. Imagine there's no heaven. Oh, no, not this again. It's easy if you try. <laughs> no hell below us. <laughs> Above us only sky. Imagine all the people. Living for today. Yeah. Good. That's giving me flashbacks. That came out in March 2020, and it was immediately ridiculed, as it, of course, should have been. Here's a bunch of celebrities in their, you know, multi-million dollar mansions saying like, hey, everybody, imagine we're going to get through this together. Uh, this little coronavirus thing is going to be fine. Look, just, just hang out by your pool. Get a tan. Get a massage from some underling wearing a mask. What's the big deal? It was this weird disconnected thing as people were going into lockdown. Gal Gadot was the one who uh, came up with the idea to do that. And, and she's now saying, yeah, OK, that was in poor taste. Uh, she had good intentions, and uh, she's, uh, yeah, that was, that, sometimes you miss the mark. She said sometimes you miss the bullseye, and sometimes you do. I will say, there's this thing that should happen in our society, and I don't know if this is exactly consistent with all of my foundational beliefs, but uh, sometimes you're just great enough to get exemptions from things. Like, Gal Gadot is just good-looking enough, to, we just shouldn't criticize her. I feel like all criticism uh, should go to other people. Ugly people like me. Those are the people that should be criticized. Um, the, uh, the actor and comedian uh, Jay Johnson, uh, he was, uh, as we go to tomorrow, uh, January 6th, he was apparently spotted or at least rumored to be spotted at the actual Capitol situation. 
Um, and if you don't know who he is, I mean, he, he apparently has lost his job on Bob's Burgers. He's one of the voices there. And, uh, but to me, he was on Mr. Show, which is like the greatest show ever created back in the day. And that should give him an exemption from all criminal activity, no matter what he does. I don't, I don't know if that's part of the Constitution. Um, I don't think it is. It doesn't exactly line up with my foundational beliefs. But you know what? In certain circumstances, people are just awesome enough to be exempt. So no criticism here for Gal Gadot on this program. But please don't ever do that again. So if you love to explore new wines, but you have absolutely no idea what you're doing, you just walk into the store and there's a big rack of them and you're trying to pick and you're picking by labels and well, that one looks colorful and you don't know what you're doing. Maybe you do know good wine, but you just want to branch out into something you've never tried before. You've got to try First Leaf Wine Club. They remove all the guesswork. They do this every day and they know wine really well. They do all the hard work to discover great wines from all around the, all over the you know, country, all over the world. First Leaf winemakers sample 10,000 wines a year across five continents and 12 countries and select only the best bottles for the club. They create a custom wine print for each member. So you go on there, you kind of fill out some questions. I like sweet wine. I like dry wine, whatever you like. I like white. I like red. And they help you form uh, kind of a, a, a profile. And then they pick these incredible wines for you. The more wines you rate, the more each shipment is personalized to your taste. And there are no contracts. No cancellation fees. If you're not happy with the wine that you receive, First Leaf will give you a credit toward your next shipment. This is awesome. Join today. You'll get six bottles of wine for $29.95. It's five bucks a bottle, guys. Five bucks. Free shipping. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash stew. Tryfirstleaf.com slash stew. You get six bottles of wine for $29.95 with free shipping. Tryfirstleaf.com slash stew. Jason Buttrill is with us. He's a head writer and researcher for Glenn Beck. Uh, now, it's interesting today, if you watch the radio program or listen to the radio program, uh, Glenn was not there. He got sick last night, uh, so he could not make it in for the show. Luckily, he had pre-taped an interview for this week's program. It's a big one, uh, kind of as big as you can get, I guess, a former president. Uh, Donald Trump, uh, an interview tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern. The newest special is the January 6th distraction, Glenn and President Trump on overcoming America's real challenges. Again, that's uh, coming up next right after this. Jason, uh, how's it going? It's good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, it's um, you were there on this trip. This happened right before the holidays. Yeah, you went to Mar-a-Lago. This has got to be one of the strangest experiences of your life. You know, it was, and I, I actually wish we would have shot uh, all of the behind-the-scenes stuff because I, I think that would have actually been even more interesting in getting to know who President Trump really is as mm. a person. That would have been insane. Uh, this, the actual interview was like really good. Uh, this week, you know, is you know, all the January 6th stuff. And, uh, you know, basically what we see it is, is just a big distraction, really. Um, they don't want us to actually look at actual issues. Uh, rising inflation. What are we going to do with China? Um, how would, uh, you know, President Trump, if he was you know, president now or if he runs again, how would he handle Taiwan? You know, how would he write the economic situation? What would he do, you know, with... Uh, you know, all the COVID restrictions, how would he handle that? Everything. We wanted to know, you know, just the real brass tacks on, you know, actual policy stuff, looking ahead. 
And, uh, you know, Glenn just kind of goes with him, just bam, 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 every single issue. Um, it's really good, really enlightening. Um, and I think that you're going to, uh, I think you're going to be hopeful, uh, you know, as far as what might happen, uh, you know, if he decides to run again. And, and I don't think he actually asks him uh, in the interview because you know what he's going to say. He can't answer that at this point. Um, it does seem like. He's going to run. <laughs> I can't remember how we asked that. I think it was like, let's just say you're, you know, ran again. And you did, you know, you know, become elected again. You know, what would you do on this? You know, it, it seems like, you know, he had like, you know, a little sly smile and went in, you know, and started talking. I think it's pretty much a given. I mean, yeah. does anyone, do, you don't doubt it, do you at this point? I don't doubt it at all. And, and, and honestly, like, it would take an incredible man to not run at this point because it's his nomination. It's literally... His. I saw a, a graph today of uh, approval rating as it show, uh, among Republicans, and it had a, a line, a vertical line, um, uh, that showed January sixth. So, like, here's here's the you know the big moment where if you look, you talk up to the media, you know, the worst thing that's ever happened since the Civil War occurs, and you look at the approval rating and you see Mike Pence and he's coming along pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. And it just drops off. into the ground. <laughs> You see Mitch McConnell, pretty good, pretty good, pretty good, pretty good, comes down to the ground. And then Donald Trump is just a flat line. No change at all. <laughs> and and it, it is really fascinating. It's his nomination. If he wants to be the party's nominee, there is nothing stopping him. He announces it. And pretty much it occurs. I can't even I don't even know what the other side of this is at this point. I don't know how anyone would beat him if they wanted to. It's interesting. He's such a conundrum as a candidate, in my opinion, because I don't think there's anyone in the race that could even join the race that would be able to get such a base of support that Donald Trump has. Mm -hmm. So he can go out there and get, you know, record amounts of votes like he did last time. But the, there's a flip side to that. He, there's also a record amount of votes. They just don't like the guy. So they're mm -hmm. just going to vote because they don't like the guy. So it's, I mean, there's this weird, you know, push and pull there of people that really hate him, really love him. And it's just a matter of, you know, the independence, you know, how are they going to swing either way? Because I think that's what happened, you know, in the last election. There was more uh, independence that went the other way. But the previous election, 2016, those independents went his direction. Yeah. Um, one of the cool things about the, uh, or good things I think for him that I've seen in the polling so far. And I think, what was that? There was a poll yesterday that said that, uh, what is Biden at like now? Like 53% disapprove yeah, or 50, disapprove? I saw 56 on the economy, Yeah, which is that's terrible. In, that's insane. Yeah. Um, but that means that there's a lot of independents. And the, some of the other polls that I've seen, the independents are one of the most that are against what Biden's doing, whether that's mm. on COVID, the economy, everything. They're the, they're the most vocal now saying they don't like. So that bodes very well for all those people that tip the election for Biden to tip it back towards Trump next time. I did have a little sympathy looking at that chart at the Mike Pence line, which is like <laughs> Mike Pence. Like, look, I mean, you know, obviously we don't want a system in which the vice president can overturn the election. Right. Uh, the, like, that's a bad system. Kamala Harris would use that in a way we would not appreciate here in 2024. <laughs> and, you know, the, the the what did Mike Pence do? The, the, there was a bunch of people chanting that they wanted him to be hanged. And then <laughs> and then and then he just like loses his approval rating. I, it's so bizarre. Like you look at this and, and he still is polling second in the in the primary, even ahead of DeSantis in a lot of these polls. But it's like 73 percent Trump. 8% Pence, 6% Santos. I mean, there is, this isn't a primary. I mean, if Donald Trump decides to run, it's Donald Trump's nomination. Full stop, I that, think. Yeah, I agree. And that's crazy that DeSantis' numbers are so low on that because I would think he would be one of the front runners to actually, you know, 
realistically challenge him. Yeah, he is. I mean, and when they take Trump out, DeSantis usually leads. Um, which is kind of interesting, although Pence does relatively well there. I mean, I, I don't know. The Pence thing is so uh, I, I think there's just so much emotion around it. I, I don't know that you know, it's fair, honestly, to bash what, what Mike Pence did. I mean, he was right. he stuck with Trump pretty much through everything uh, and didn't, you know, look, the system does not provide that option. That's an old it's an old argument. And I thought that well, the good thing that Glenn did here uh, in this in this interview was to not look at these old arguments. Right. I've heard a lot of interviews with Trump over the years, and a lot of it goes back back to what happened in the election and what happened in the past. And I thought the approach Glenn had here was to kind of look into the future and say, hey, let's say um, you might be a candidate or whoever the Republican candidate is. What are they going to do about these things? Because, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is every single aspect of this Biden presidency so far has been a catastrophe. Absolute catastrophe. And yeah, what I really wish, and I'll go back to what I said earlier, is you know I really wish we could show the behind the scenes uh, footage from this, is because I think that's a, one of the real big strengths that Trump has. Trump and it really his entire family, um, they listen to people. They really do. I mean, it's it's hard. To, it's it's weird to say how a you know multi billion dollar you know a, you know real estate mogul you would think they would just sit in ivory t- ivory tower you know on their gold throne or whatever, or they'd be so detached. But they aren't. That's not who they are at all. And um, when people watch the, the interview tonight, look at it in this context, right? So everything that Trump is really, really passionate about, I truly believe he's really, really passionate about it because he listens to you. He listens to the people. He wants to know what you're really passionate about. And then he goes after those things. Um, and if I have time, just really quickly. Yeah, please, yeah, please do. Uh, so j- to give an example for that, just the family in general, before we started the interview. So like right before you see tonight, when you see the interview fire up. Donald Trump Jr. just came in on a whim, just walked in and just started, you know, hanging out with us, you know, you know, chewing the fat, just started talking. Um, Literally, like it was like, you know, some guy that was literally was like, hey, this is my house. Just came in to see how, you know, how my friends are doing. (laughs) Right. I I mean, I guess it really is his house. But 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 yeah, but but that's how it was. It was so like not very formal at all. It was just you talking to like, you know, an acquaintance. And uh, after the interview, Donald Trump was like, hey, you guys want to come eat with us? And we were like. As if we're going to turn down that, you know, uh, <laughs> that invitation. And he was like, yeah, just come on with us. So he, like, he walked over. His uh, wife, Melania, was already sitting at a table with a couple of their friends. And I don't know if you've been to Mar-a-Lago, but the Mar-a-Lago like, area is kind of cool. It's, there's like this uh, little atrium area where there's like, I don't know, like 30, 40 something, something odd uh, tables. And uh, it's the people, I guess, that are a part of the club or that have been invited. And uh, we were sitting at a table and it was like, one and a half tables away from where the Trumps were sitting. And it was the most surreal experience ever. You just look over, you know, to your right, you see the president, former president and first lady just sitting there having a meal. Um, and he does this, I think, every night. And it wasn't like he just sit there, you know, ate, did his thing and then, you know, walked away and didn't talk to anybody. He would get up. I think he did like two or three times, just got up from a seat, walked over to our table and was like, yeah, I just want to talk to you about this. It reminded me while we were talking over there, blah, blah, just start talking. <laughs> it was so casual. Yeah. It was like you were eating dinner and talking with one of your uncles or something like that. That's just how he is. It's cool. Yeah, and I think you know this is what helps him relate to people. I think absolutely, particularly well. Um, give me, give me a sense of Mar-a-Lago because you know it's interesting. Before Trump ran for president, um, Glenn stayed at Mar-a-Lago. This is years and years ago. I was um, there. Yeah. You, know, you were there for that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, well, he's told me that story a bunch of times, and so in my head, it's like a really nice resort hotel. 
And uh, it's really not that, right? I mean, it's, it's sort of a combination of his house and a club and sort of a hotel. Talk to me about what it's like to be there. That's exactly what I thought, too. I thought it was like a, resort, like a golf resort hotel. Yeah. And um, I think there's, it's not that at all. It's a lot smaller than what you would think. Uh, I think that I think I heard there was like maybe 15 guest rooms. Don't quote me on that. It's something like that. It's a okay. very small amount of guest rooms. And I guess it's just for friends and, you know, other people that are close to them. I, I don't really know. But um, no, it's not that at all. I, I think people, they're, they're members there. And I pretty much looks like all they do is they go there and like have dinner every night. That's, that's kind of what it seemed like. But mm. um, yeah, it's, it's more of a vibe of this is the president's, you know, one of his homes also doubles as an office. And also where he just gets together every night and hangs out with people. I mean, really, that, that that's basically what it is. Um, the 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 club, I guess, is what what it is 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 gorgeous. It's got like this like nineteen twenties like you know Art Deco type feel um, that's been you know completely. Uh, uh, we were talking to somebody that said they went in when they got it and had to completely yeah. redo everything to bring it back up to speed. But it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's been an amazing investment. When you look at his portfolio, mm. it's like the most successful investment he's ever had, if, if I believe. Yeah. Um, as, as far as percentage basis goes. Um, all right. Well, the, the interview happens tonight. It's something you definitely want to see. And I, I keep thinking to myself like. In a world, which is not the real world, where Joe Biden was doing a good job, <laughs> you could almost picture Trump saying, look, I did what I could. And, you know, uh, you know, yeah, he's got different policies, but whatever. I'm not going to do this again with the with the with the catastrophe uh, that we've seen so far from Joe Biden. I, I just can't believe he's going to stand by and 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 let this go without challenging and pushing back and trying this again. I, it just seems like there's a hundred percent chance he's running. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he, fe- I personally think he feels like he owes it to, uh, I wouldn't say to his legacy, but I think at this point he does feel like he owes it to the country to put the ship back on what he started. Mm. And, uh, I, you know, you got to know that he really took that personal when they made that big, very public display on inauguration day of signing all these executive orders just to completely undo you know, tons of the stuff that he had started. Um, and it's, I'm sure it was made him chuckle a little bit as he saw that a lot of those had to be, re, you know, had to be reneged on. Mm. Uh, one, you know, like the Remain in Mexico, but one that, you know, they yeah. had to renege <laughs> several other things. I mean, it was clearly a show. It was clearly directed straight at him. Uh, and yeah, you got to believe he not only wants a little payback, but also wants to re, you know, write this ship. Think about where we were in 2018, 2019. I mean, during that time, I mean, the, the economy was booming, you know, mm-hmm. all the intersectional, you know, groups that they try and like set us apart in, whether it's race, you know, gender, whatever, everyone was doing historically great during that time. Uh, granted, there was a pandemic and all that stuff. But after that, I mean, look where we're at now. Rising in infl- inflation. It's not transitory. Uh, things are getting worse. There's things the administration could be doing, but they're not. And he's eyeing those things. And remember, he's listening to he listened to us on the border. He came in probably one strictly on that. Now he's got more than that. He's got the border. He's got the economy, everything they're doing. He's got all the overreach that the government has been doing on uh, COVID and the vaccines and all that stuff. There are multiple border situations. And again, he won, I think, on one of those. There's multiple of those now that he can come in and just squash them. I, it's just too tempting. Mm. Jason Buttrell, head writer, researcher for uh, Glenn Beck. The special is tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern, and it's called The January 6th Distraction. Even the media is going to be like, what do they ask him about January 6th? Nothing. Spoiler alert, 
nothing. It's about looking into the future, not the past. Glenn and President Trump on overcoming America's real challenges. And as always, the best way to watch is, of course, with your very own Blaze TV subscription. Head to blazetv.com slash stew. Enter the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Plus, you'll save 10 bucks. Jason, thanks for coming on. Thanks. Glenn Beck interviews former President Donald Trump in seconds. Don't miss it out, uh, out on it and get your subscription to blazetv.com slash stew. Promo code is stew. Save 10 bucks. We will uh, see you tomorrow.